Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Let's pray while we're standing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that illuminates our way, that guides us, that teaches us, that teaches us who we are. So we pray as we come to it, you would be with us, teach us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Please do take a seat. Well, we've been praying with a huge scope about the whole world, and there's so much to think of there, isn't there? But there's also a great deal to think of in our own individual lives, and that's where we're going to turn right now. And this week, as I was preparing uh, to preach on the next passage in Ephesians, I found myself remembering a little nursery rhyme. What are little boys made of? What are little boys made of? Frogs and snails and puppy dogs' tails, that's what little boys are made of. What are little girls made of? What are little girls made of? Sugar and spice and all that's nice, that's what little girls are made of. And the question in a roundabout way that we're addressing today is, how could these two live together? Now, perhaps like me, you feel the old nursery rhyme has some truth in it. Uh, You feel that boys and girls probably aren't quite the same. Uh, Then again, perhaps like me too, you've never been totally comfortable with the idea that the nub of the issue is really about puppy dogs' tails. Um, And then there's the problem that we grow up. Uh, And in my case, I uh, discovered a particular little girl who was very nice. And uh, we decided to join our lives together. And to be honest, whilst we are quite different... Um, I think we'd both say that the outcome is a little more hopeful than a frog, snail, sugar, and spice cocktail. And actually, I think on the odd occasion, I have been quite nice too. But it hasn't always been easy making it work. And I know I've often come back to God for help and wondered what help is there in the scriptures for us as we try to make marriage work. And as we've been going verse by verse through the book of the Bible in which The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus uh, what it would look like to follow Jesus. We're now coming to an installment in which that's the focus. He addresses marriage. And Helen Draper is going to uh, read for us. And then together with Natasha, uh, I'm going to be unpacking this passage. And I'll tell you right now, it's pretty countercultural. It's challenging. And I think in the end, it turns out to be relevant to every one of us, whatever our marital status or otherwise. So, Helen, if you would come up and uh, join me. So we're looking at Ephesians chapter 5, beginning to read uh, at verse 
uh, 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives and husbands. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the law, the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to, submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I wonder where that reading leaves you. As with all of the Bible, uh, there are words written into a culture that is very different from my own. And so I thought what we would do is begin by just thinking our way into the ears of the first hearers. What would it have sounded like? And at least some of those hearers would have found Paul's words quite disagreeable, even countercultural. Not because Paul commands wives to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. That sort of thing, actually, 2,000 years ago in ancient Near East would have been expected, though we're going to return to address that because we must address it in a moment. But I think for the first hearers, the cultural clash would have come at verse 25. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The norm in uh, Paul's day was for men to be valued above women. Uh, so, for example, uh, at, at that time in the Mediterranean, men were defined in terms of their father or their extended family. Women were generally known for their nearest male relative that they were connected with, father or husband. Even the friendship that existed between husband and wife 
was seen often as a friendship between unequals. And so if we were reading a series of commands about how a household should be ordered, we might have expected a command here, after addressing wives, to the husbands to rule their wives. But instead, Paul commands husbands to love your wives. In fact, he gives uh, noticeably more time to speaking to husbands about their love than to wives about the submission. And although that may at first sound a bit trivial, I mean, it's no skin off any husband's nose, surely, to love their wives. That's what they promised to do when they married her. But it's not that kind of love. Uh, If we look at the shape of the love that Paul uh, suggests here, it's not about fostering a feeling of of love. It's it's about action. It's about self-sacrifice. And actually, Paul specifically says, the example of love to follow is the Lord Jesus who gave up his life on the cross. So I take it Paul means for us husbands to be prepared to let go of our lives for the benefit of our wives. To let go of some of our preferences. To let go of some of our career ambitions. To let go of some of our habits. of Some of our idle time. Or indeed, all of the above. To be prepared to give up anything and everything, really. If that would enable us to better love our wives. After all, what could we possibly give up that could match up to Christ's love? On the cross. Now, this is some strong stuff. Uh, The writer C.S. Lewis put it in stark terms. I'll read it slowly. He said, This headship, this relationship between a man and a woman, is most fully embodied in the husband whose marriage is most like a crucifixion. (laughs) I mean, it's kind of what it says, isn't it? I like to imagine how the letter went down when it was first read in that first century. I reckon there might have been a sharp intake of breath by some of the men present. What did Brother Stephanos think? Did Brother Stephanos suddenly regret spending his entire latest pay packet on a new tunic in the Black Friday sale? What about Brother Alexander? Did Brother Alexander start re-evaluating whether he really needed that trip away that his wife had pleaded with him not to go on? Did he make Brother Simon rethink his plans to move the entire family for that new economic opportunity? And look, if we're honest, uh, we don't need to imagine 2,000 years ago to feel uh, the challenge today, do we? It's inspiring, certainly. Uh, What kind of a husband on their best day would not love to say, my life looks like Christ's in relation to my wife. But we probably all say that we've got a lot of room for improvement. So I wonder for those who are husbands here today, what might be the next step for you, and, and indeed for me, I say this to myself, as we seek to love our wives as Christ loved the church? What part of our lives is he calling us to lay down for her? So that's the bit that likely sounded countercultural back in Paul's day. Today, of course, it's the command to wives to submit to their husbands that sounds out of place. And we're privileged to live in a culture where, even if there are still places where there's a great deal of change that's needed, women are valued so much more than in the past and in all areas of society. I know uh, all about that. Um, I'm immensely proud of having married uh, Emily, uh, who runs a GP practice. She has 13,000 patients. I have 
500 congregants. <laughs> and she is also a mum to four kids, to which I contribute vanishingly little, if you've ever been in my house. And with the possible exception of arm wrestling, she is basically more useful than I am at everything, professionally, relationally, and domestically. So we might reasonably ask, if we're able to acknowledge that kind of thing, does the pattern of marriage described here not lead us backwards to a world where women would be undervalued? And, and indeed, how does this passage fit in with the unprecedented dignity and honor that Jesus and his earliest followers gave women? Well, Natasha is going to address that as she comes to unpack the earlier three verses addressed to wives. So in verse 22, we read, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And from the point of view of a 21st century Western woman, this does feel pretty countercultural. And the danger might be then that I stop listening at verse 22. But I am a Christian. I'm actually doing theological studies. I'm committed to understanding that what God has to say to me through his word, the Bible, is what he wants me to hear, even when it's hard to understand. It's not a question of picking and mixing the verses. And that's partly why we work our way through books like this, because it's the whole Bible that we're looking at. And as someone who's married, I also need to wrestle with this passage from that place. So first of all, if we look back at verse 21, this is on page 1186 in the Pew Bibles, we're actually all told to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, submit, it's a bit of a trigger word. I actually noticed it in the, um, the baptismal vows, I submit to Christ. Um, it's a bit of a trigger word. It's often used to describe a manipulation of power against someone vulnerable. But as Christians, this word is something we use differently and more positively. You see, we see submission as something embodied by the one we follow, and that is Jesus himself. Secondly, submission is something we do as an act of free will. It's not because we're forced to do so. Jesus submitted himself to God as his father. I don't think he inwardly gagged as he lived humbly among the same people he'd created. But he chose to do so with joy, with love, and with understanding. And he didn't submit because he was forced to do so, but from a place of outward-focused love. And that speaks to me about what this word submission might mean as I look to love my husband. So whilst we're asked to submit to each other in verse 21, as I personally read this today, I wonder if actually I need to reflect on places where I'm less than humble in my role as wife. And rather than being reactive against the wording of these verses, as is my instinct, maybe I need to ask God to help me learn to submit in a way that looks more like what Jesus did when he submitted. Now back to the Bible. To understand what it might mean for a husband to be head of the wife, I looked at how Jesus is head of the church. In what way? 
Verse 25 asks husbands to love their wives in the same way as Christ loved the church. When I think about what Jesus has done for the church, that's pretty big. Not only did he give up his rights as the son of God, coming to earth to live as a poor human, but he also gave up even his life, dying on a cross for the freedom of the people of the church. Again, if I look at Jesus, maybe if the meaning of being head of the wife in verse 25 means having power in any sense, I think it's power to exercise strength carefully. It's power to create trust and not domination. It's power to facilitate self-fulfillment, not frustrate it. So submission may be scary as a word, but maybe true Christ-like headship is scary too. Now, there are points when life events have significance on both of us in our marriage. And so as a Christian, I need to work out what it means to live biblically within my marriage. So I'm going to tell you a little story. I have shared this with my husband before I've done so. (laughs) When we left the previous place we were living to move here to Croydon, I did not want to come. I did not want to leave. I didn't want to be here. But for Pete in his job it was the right time to do so. So I'd like to tell you that I willingly and joyfully submitted to his will, but that would be a lie. All I could claim that I shut the conversation down, reminding him this is a marriage of equals, uh, but that would also be a lie. So what I actually did, after a lot of mental stomping around, is submit. But... Instead of immediately submitting to my husband, which was too hard for me to do initially, I went to the second part of verse 22. Submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And I submitted to God. I said to God, in fact, if you are asking me to do this, you're asking both of us to do this. By bringing God into the process, by asking him to help the next part of our journey being something to submit to him, I slowly was able to come to a place of being able to take some steps forward, knowing God was the one directing the paths of both of us. And that's what I've sought to do since then. So here in marriage, just like in the verses that came before, living in God's way only really makes sense when it starts from a place of relationship with Jesus So before John goes on and finishes the sermon by talking about that, I'd like to say one more thing. The self-sacrifices that Paul is asking of husbands and wives are drawn up uniquely in some ways, but they're also similar in other ways. In fact, they're just one outworking of something we're all called to do, and it's what we looked at last week at the start of chapter 5, to live a life of love as those dearly loved by God. Not all of us in this church are married, and not all of us who are married are happily married. And I want to say, if you're struggling to hear this today from that place, please come and pray with one of us or come and have prayer ministry at the end of our service. But all of us are called to the hard, often unseen, but beautiful work of putting someone else before ourselves, 
Because to lose ourselves in order to put someone else above us is in fact what Jesus himself modelled for us to do. It's what he did for us on the cross. It's what we're asked to do as believers every day. It's at the heart of our faith. And it's what Paul points us towards in this passage. Thank you so much, Natasha. Just before we go on, I do just want to reiterate that we would love to be a place where all of us uh, who are, are married or who are in relationships find that we are able to find support and encouragement and help, which we may from time to time need. So please do at any time, whether it's today or another time, get in touch uh, if you would like help. But I just want to wrap up with the last dimension of Paul's teaching on marriage, uh, which I want to pick up. And I think it's actually even more important. Um, if you're still following it in the Bible, it's there in verse 31. So Paul says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church, says Paul. Strange thing to say, Paul. I'm pretty sure you were talking about marriage. Yes, I was. But marriage, every marriage, points beyond itself to something altogether more wonderful. The heavenly marriage of the bridegroom Christ to his bride, the church. That's the parallel here. Now, as a vicar, I love to officiate at uh, weddings. And uh, one of the great joys that I get is I stand here and I get to ponder this amazing visual aid that, uh, whether later on time, uh, emerges out of that door there. Beautiful bride who walks up to meet her bridegroom. And it happens every time. Everyone's breath is taken away. And that is the picture here. It reminds us uh, of uh, the, the beauty of that relationship. And actually, the Bible develops that very image in other places. So if we were to go to the very last book of the Bible, Vision of Heaven, this is what it says. It says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. So actually, if you read the Bible from beginning to end, you realize that it is one great love story. The Bible is a love story between God and his people, between God and you, God and me. And if we follow that love story from the beginning, we start reading through the Old Testament. There's a long time. There's a great question hanging in the balance of eternity. Look, how, why? Why would the perfect God of the universe want to be together with this people? They, they fall short of him so often. They fall out with him so often. How could they ever be worthy to walk up the aisle with him? But then we get to the New Testament. And Paul says, Ephesians 5, Christ loved the church and gave himself up her to make her holy, cleansing her by, the water, by washing with water through the word, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So there's this picture of the Lord presenting us to himself, perfect, made perfect by his compassion and power. So that means whether you're married or not, whether your marriage is in a good place or not, 
If you have decided to follow Jesus, you are part of a much bigger love story. A love story that eclipses even the best ones that you have seen in the movies. The Lord has loved you. He has laid down his life for you. To make you radiant. And you can know and serve him now. One day, you will be in his undivided presence. And that will literally be a match made in heaven. And equally, if, if you love the sound of that, and you would love to be included in that, but it doesn't really make sense to you yet, and you're wondering, how do I get that? I would love to speak to you. Come and speak to me and Natasha, one of the team afterwards. Do it or do head over for prayer ministry as we do so. But here is the great picture for us all to look through towards. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, these are challenging chapters for all of us who are here, whether married or not, whether husbands or wives. Lord, we pray that you would continue to work in us to shape our lives after the pattern of the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his amazing example of self-giving love. We pray that you would shape each one of us in his image and that you would set in our hearts a longing and a perspective on that ultimate marriage, the bringing together of your perfect presence and us in eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good, we're going to close our, our time together by singing one last time. So please do stand as the musicians begin. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.